Welcome to Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Kim Farina, a veterinarian, a writer, and I've worked in the animal health industry. And prior to that, I was an MTV journalist and a radio personality. So yes, my career has taken me in lots of different directions. In each episode of Scrub Chat, I sit down and chat with a veterinarian or technician as they share their own directions, their interesting career decisions, what's worked, what hasn't, and how they make it all fit. Thank you for joining me today as we explore veterinary medicine combined with all the other aspects of our lives. Zoetis has generously created these podcasts to help support the profession we love. Today, we get to chat with Dr. Christine Jenkins. She leads the Zoetis Veterinary Medical Services and Outcomes Research Group, which includes veterinary medical information and product support, academic and professional affairs, and outcomes research for U.S. operations. As a member of the leadership team, she also serves as the Chief Veterinary Medical Officer and is responsible for the Commitment to Veterinarians platform. She also leads the philanthropic efforts for Zoetis in the U.S. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Kim. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we're so glad to have you. So I just read your bio, and it's like, whoa, whoa, and Wow. So let's unpack this a little bit. Tell me, describe your job at Zoetis. So to simplify my role at Zoetis, um, as you mentioned, I serve as the chief medical officer. Well, what does that mean to the Zoetis leadership team? Um, Our leaders think it's important that they have a voice of the veterinarian. So my role on the leadership team for U.S. operations is to be that voice, represent the profession as appropriate to make sure that we're keeping our customers in mind. Our customers may include veterinarians as well as other veterinary professionals, including, of course, our most important veterinary technicians. As a part of my role at Zoetis, you mentioned some of the teams that I manage, uh, veterinary medical information and product support, we fondly call VMIPS. And so if you have a question about one of the Zoetis products, that where we can help you make sure that uh, we're, uh, you're using our products appropriately, then you call the 1-800 number and you'll get a member of my team. You also mentioned uh, outcomes research. We have a team of veterinarians and or PhDs as well as master level S- experts that are located across the United States. They support our efforts around demonstrating the economic impact of u- utilizing Zoetis products uh, in animals. Also, you mentioned a number of the other areas I'm responsible for. And let me just say, I have a wonderful team of qualified experts that help us deliver all that we do to support our customers in the United States. You talked about being a voice, you know, to veterinarians and so forth. And I want to explore that for a minute because, you know, we talked about philanthropic efforts and, you know, that can include supporting the veterinary profession through scholarships, through veterinary wellness initiatives, disaster relief and diversity. When you came on board, was this uh, part of the package when you accepted the job or did you have a personal interest in leading these uh, this operation? Boy, I wish I could take credit for all of the uh, areas that we uh, support within the veterinary profession. Uh, fortunately, when I arrived uh, to Zoetis, 
back in 2012, uh, we were supporting the profession in a number of ways, including disaster relief, including a very robust scholarship program. The area that um, I had uh, more direct influence is around our efforts to support the veterinary profession when it comes to well-being. And as you know, Kim, in recent years, we've identified that the veterinary profession broadly is impacted by challenges related to mental well-being. And so that is an area of strategic focus uh, for us at Zoetis. So we partner, of course, with all of the key organizations that are trying to pull together to make a difference to eliminate a number of the risk factors associated with our profession. So the rest of it, diversity, yes, I've enhanced some of the efforts around diversity only because, um, you know, I just had the opportunity to bring others together that have an interest in diversity. And so that's another area that um, although we were doing things around diversity initiatives, uh, we've been able to maintain but also enhance some of the partnerships that we're doing with some of the colleges of veterinary medicine, as well as the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges and the AVMA. We can't ignore talking about mental well-being. And when we talk about that, I kind of want to go back in time a little bit in your life. Um, You earned your Bachelor of Science degree at Florida A&M. Then you received your DVM degree from Tuskegee in Alabama, an internship at University of Florida, residency at University of Tennessee in small animal internal medicine. What was happening at that time in your life? Were you married? Did you have children? Because what I'm getting at is that's a lot. And what was happening in your head to to ensure that you had good well-being or not? Wow, that's a that's an interesting question. And so as I think back on what was going on with me personally, as I tried to um, manage my career path in a positive direction, I have to say that I relied on the support of my family. Uh, in addition, fortunately, at all of the institutions that you listed, I had a very close-knit uh, relationship with my colleagues, also key faculty that helped all of us in our internship and residency programs keep it real and maintain the importance of how we needed to still continue to prioritize important aspects of our lives, such as family Family comes first. The reason I chose the University of Tennessee for my residency, that came across in the interview with them that they prioritized their families, and I felt that that was a good, healthy place for me to be as a resident. I married after I completed my residency in small animal internal medicine. Fortunately, through a blind date, I met my wonderful husband. Uh, We dated for four years, so I really didn't get married officially until my mid-30s, but recognizing as a scientist that if I wanted to have a family, I actually scheduled um, trying to start a family similar to what I did to schedule uh, the things that were important around board certification as well as pursuit of my specialty training. Um, that's just how I manage things. So, um, you know, just laid clear expectations early on so we could manage 
um, our family as appropriate, that's really, really important. And so when I speak to groups, I come out and say, hey, I'm a mother and I'm a mother first. I'm a a supportive spouse second. And third for me, I'm a veterinarian. And so that's just really how I've prioritized my life. And that's based on how my parents, who were both working professionals and educators, that's how they prioritize their life. So I'd have to say that my parents were role models for me. How do you make sure the career stays third? So sometimes some of the challenges that you may have with family. So let's say I remember there was a phase of my life where I was balancing both elder care challenges as well as the care of my daughter. And as a result, uh, my work became my outlet. In other words, there are certain things that we develop uh, competencies in when it comes to being successful at work. And so when you lose control because, let's say, you're dealing with challenges related to care for your parents or challenges related to managing a child on a day-to-day basis, sometimes in my mind, my release was actually coming to work and being able to complete certain tasks that I had in front of me, take pride in the way that I completed the task, and then I could go home and manage the things that I really didn't have as much control over, and that would be the health of my elderly parents or the challenges related to raising a teenage daughter or a toddler, all of the different challenges that we have on a day-to-day basis as moms. Let's talk more about your career. Later, you became so tenured associate professor of medicine at University of Tennessee. You've held several director roles in clinical research, regulatory affairs, marketing at Pfizer Animal Health, Marielle Hills Pet Nutrition. You were moving around a lot around the country. How did you know about these career opportunities? And were these changes based on what was happening in your life? That's a really relevant question for me. The majority of the opportunities I've had in the animal health industry, I think actually all four companies, it was related to being well-connected within my network. So in general, in most cases, I was not actively looking when companies reached out to me uh, for opportunities. And that means that my network to me is my most valuable asset second to, I guess, my brain, I have to say. As I thought about the opportunities that were presented to me, I would say that, again, had to put family first. In some cases, the opportunity that was presented to me may not have been a more attractive job, but it would allow either greater opportunities for my husband and his career as well as my career. But more importantly, as a family, we have had to make opportunities to relocate based on the fact that my daughter is special needs. She's 24 years old. I'm happy to say she is finishing, knock on wood, her last semester of college at Beacon College. But to accommodate her educational as well as her other medical needs, 
we made moves really based on the fact that other locations might have better educational offerings for her future, as well as offering opportunities for both my husband and I to be actively employed. So again, for us, family always came first in making those decisions. First of all, So we can see each other. I can see you. You can see me. And I have to tell you, when you talk about your daughter, you sparkle. You, you, You can see proud mother just coming out of, radiating out of you. It's, it's a beautiful, um, thing to see right now. And, and I can tell the love is just, ah, oh, thank you know, you. it's, 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 you sparkle. So it's, it's very special. Um, and so, so your advice to early career veterinarians or new graduates would be to walk the walk that you did and that family comes first and or spouse and then career? I think so. It, it all depends on making sure that when appropriate, you step back and take a look. So I can just tell you the venue for me, I'm a Floridian. And for me, when I have to take a time out for Christine, because I'm at the crossroads of major decisions in my life, I go to the beach. So I go to the ocean and wherever that ocean is closest. And in, in sometimes, like especially when I was at Hills Pet Nutrition and there was no ocean around, I would go to uh, Manmate Lake. OK, <laughs> so step back and where you can be yourself and you can be um, take a look and be reflective and make sure that you're prioritizing your focus. You've just given us a lot of wonderful advice. You're grounded, you're confident. Christine, did this come from within? Or did did your parents very early on model this for you or just really instill this in you growing up as a young girl? Huh. <laughs> Well, my parents, uh, I miss both of them dearly. Um, My parents set really high expectations for their three children. My sister and I, uh, both are medical professionals. She is actually an an MD. And then, of course, as you all know, I am a veterinarian. Then my brother pursued um, a career in business. And so for their girls in particular, They set very, very high expectations for us academically. Why is that? As African-Americans, African-Americans during the time I was raised, uh, especially those who were educated, um, they pushed their children really hard when it came to academic excellence. So it's a part of the culture that was inherent in my upbringing as a African-American young person. Uh, In addition, my mom was a special ed teacher. And so a lot of what um, I observed with her students, they had a lot of challenges that were much greater than the challenges that we had as young people. She made sure that we were exposed to her students. And those students, in a lot of cases, became a part of our family as she tried to give those students exposure to our family. And so that meant that she would, on occasion, hire those students. 
um, or she would allow them to actually spend time with us as a family. She wanted to make sure that we recognized how blessed we were to have the aptitude that we were born with, but also the opportunities that my parents provided for us from an educational standpoint. So they were pretty tough on us. Um, When I identified that at the age of 10, when I was um, riding one of my horses, that I loved science and I loved animals, and I identified and shared with my parents that I wanted to become a veterinarian. Basically, even at that age, they said, uh, you will either be a doctor or a lawyer. So here I was, 10 (laughs) years old thinking that, hey, I've identified a pretty good career here. Um, They continue to facilitate opportunities and to support my sister and I in our pursuit of, you know, pursuing a medical career. So I I owe them a lot um, for my success. Mm -hmm. So you had lots of amazing examples set forth for you. So if you, if a, if a young veterinarian or a new grad or a veterinary student or a vet tech doesn't have supportive parents or parents who are kind of checked out, they, they really wanted them to do something else, are they a goner? Oh, no. Is it, lo- is it lost hope? I meet a lot of veterinary students whose parents do not have the exposure to the wonderful aspects of what the veterinary profession offers you as a professional. And so I encourage those folks to even utilize me as a mentor, but also to find other veterinary professionals that they can talk to so they can get the type of guidance that I was fortunate to get from my parents uh, from people who have uh, walked the walk, um, but also from people who have been successful in managing their journey within the veterinary professional. So uh, hope is not lost, but also serve to be a role model. Once you start to demonstrate your success, go back and influence other young people because we want to make sure that we continue to build a very diverse veterinary profession. So always um, think about what influence can you have on people that might aspire to be what you are. So Also, how can we influence young people that may not be thinking of themselves as a veterinary professional in the future? That's the only way we can diversify this profession is that we have to influence those folks to consider veterinary medicine as a a very uh, interesting profession that gives us many different potential career paths. So um, hopefully um, we can influence others, even though uh, our parents might not have understood why we were aspiring to be veterinary professionals early, um, early on in our career. One of the interesting facts about you is that you're, you're the first African-American woman to be boarded in internal medicine. What was that like? Were you just like out there by yourself? 
Um, so I've never felt like I've been by myself in my profession. I would not have achieved board certification if it hadn't been for the support of the faculty at the University of Tennessee, my former faculty at the University of Florida, as well as um, the faculty uh, at Tuskegee University and Florida A&M University. So I've been fortunate that I've got a group of cheerleaders that have influenced me throughout my life. And so they built, helped build my confidence at times where I, I wasn't confident that I was going to be able to pass my boards. Again, my parents, as well as um, by then I was married by the time I actually achieved board certification. I was actually pregnant with my daughter by that point in time. <laughs> so at times I didn't think that I was going to be able to pass that test. And so um, I encourage folks um, to surround yourself with people who believe in you because you'll need them at times where you start to question your own abilities and your competencies. And so, um, so always um, feel free to refer back to people that, that have seen you overcome uh, challenges. And so board certification for me was not easy. Um, it did not come as easily as it did come for some of the folks that I mentored later on. Um, and so, but I'm open about that. And the reason is, is that, as I said, um, being true to myself, um, I'm human and I struggled and I had to overcome some of my lack of confidence in certain areas. So when I was studying for the boards, there's certain subjects that I just really didn't like as much as others. And one of the ways that I tried to learn more about those subjects is that sometimes I would volunteer to teach those classes, recognizing that I struggle when it comes to renal physiology. Um, so I offered to teach renal, okay? And because I knew in school that that was one of the areas where uh, it just didn't come as easily. I didn't recognize that I was the first black female. Actually, that was pointed out to me by the first African-American who was a part of the first group of board-certified ACVIM internists. Fortunately for me, he was a faculty member at Tuskegee University and had taught me. So he was the one that said, Christine, you're the first black female. I'm like, I, I didn't care. I just needed to pass the boards. That was the main thing for me. Would you say that was the biggest challenge of your life? The biggest challenge of my life at that point in time was passing my boards. The second equal challenge in my life has um, been surrounding my role as mother of a special needs uh, child, now a special needs adult. Don't worry, um, I'll let her hear this podcast because she and I are very open about the journey that, um, that she has taken uh, to be successful. And so, but I would have to say that that has been the largest or the biggest journey or the hardest journey for both myself and my husband, as well as the family around us who have, have supported my daughter in mm -hmm. her journey. Mm -hmm. I understand because I have a nine-year-old with mild autism, and I, I understand the journey is fulfilling and difficult at times. Yes. So 
I get it. I get it. Now, you mentioned your two valuable assets, your brain and networking. And I think that is a repeated theme of this village, the networking that is so important to one's success. And I'm putting success in quotes because that means in all aspects of our lives, all the parts, professional, personal, everything. What if what if you're shy and what if the idea of having to talk to somebody is like, how do I start this? How do I start to network? How do you do that? So actually, I do uh, mentor a number of veterinarians who have uh, identified and shared with me that um, that they're very shy. And a lot of times I'm surprised because within the workplace, you know, I don't pick up that they're shy because they've been able to compensate for that shyness. And so then I do um, actually help them formulate a plan, a plan of attack, I call it, when it comes to building your network. And so we pretty much lay out a plan of action. So that means, let's say if you're going to if you're a veterinary student and you're going to SAPMA, or if you're a veterinarian or a veterinary technician and you're going to a veterinary conference, whether it be a local, state, or national conference, you know pretty much folks that um, would be beneficial for you to start to get to know. So I actually challenge them to develop their list of people. And then when they develop the list of people, also have a list of folks that can facilitate the introductions. A lot of times, if folks have apprehensions um, about approaching other people, they find that they're more comfortable if they have a colleague that will actually introduce them to that colleague. Well, if that's not um, a possibility, then I say to the person, go ahead and practice with people that you're comfortable with. Like practice with me. How you, would you approach me if we were at a conference or at a reception where you said, okay, I'm going to target Dr. Jenkins today or Dr. Farina today. I'm going to go over and approach them. So I tell them, you know, practice with folks at home or practice with people that you're comfortable with. The more you practice those key messages, then it takes that fear away. It takes that anxiety away. Also, smile. Smiling helps you um, calm down. And we know that smiling helps us when we're stressed. Also, when we don't know what to say, a lot of times, be okay with pausing during that conversation. Be okay with smiling during the conversation, if appropriate. And so, With practice, you will develop a comfort level approaching people that you don't know, and you will become proficient at it, and you will become good at it. And so have confidence that you're you're able to overcome that shyness. And it sounds like really what you're saying is having a conversation. It's not like you're asking for a kidney or you're asking for a job, right? You know, it's like you're just having a conversation because that's what the networking is it's not it's not you're just in there for jobs right exactly exactly and the other key point is always follow up in some way and what I find like 
This past weekend, I had the opportunity to go to the AVMA Veterinary Leadership Conference, met a number of young, aspiring future leaders. And what I found was that in the last 72 hours, the number of people who have linked in with me, um, and, and I admire them because they're doing what's very important, that follow-up that reach back, that helps solidify their names within my memory, which is not that great these days. And so that (laughs) follow-up is really, really important uh, when it comes to networking. The other thing is I mentioned that I have a number of, of former mentors as well as important colleagues in my life who have helped me maneuver through my career path take opportunities to reach out to them on a routine basis, set aside a time, let's say maybe during the holiday season where you reach back. The reason is, is that when you need them, let's say you need them because you need to talk to them because you're at the crossroads of making important decisions, either about your family or about your career. Don't wait until you need them to say hello And what I find with females, and I'm going to stereotype here, we tend to do that better where we stay uh, close, um, that we are more comfortable staying connected on a regular basis with folks that we want to build friendships and rapport with. Whereas um, in some cases where males, uh, when they reach back to me, it's when they need uh, to know about potential job opportunities or they're at the crossroads of, de- of a decision. So as a, their mentor, I'll say to them in a nice way, boy, you know, I haven't heard from you since the last time you were looking at a, a job opportunity. Boy, what year was that? So it's always important <laughs> for you to maintain a cadence um, so people remember you. But also it's really important that you get back to them. In other words, make sure that they see you as a resource because you can help also broaden their network, but also you can be a safety net for them at times where they might need to talk to a peer or colleague about decisions that are important to them. What I love so much about what you're saying is that it's it's truthful and it's honest and it's truly coming out of care. And I think that is, I think that is really important that um, everyone understands that it's not just for the show, it, it truly comes from um, a place in the heart. So I think, yeah, and I think, Kim, one of the things that one of the um, situations that you'll find most fulfilling is that when a former mentor or someone that has helped you in, in the past, when they reach out to you for help and you're able through your network to facilitate a connection that can help them. That is the most fulfilling uh, experience that you will have as a colleague within this profession. We talked about the importance of networking and the importance of being able to obviously connect with people. What other skills do you think are important to have either in clinical practice to succeed and, and be a leader in your practice or move to industry, move to any of the other pathways you're going to go. Are there certain skills, universal skills that you need to land where you are, where you are? So one of the skills that, 
you know, I think we have identified as very important um, as veterinarians as, and as well as veterinary technicians is developing effective communication skills. So there's a certain way that we can talk to each other as veterinary professionals that may not be as effective when we're speaking to clients, but also may not be as effective when we are representing the profession. So communication, 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 I think is key to your success as a veterinary professional. Other skill sets that I think are important as aspiring leaders is self-awareness, but also have those people that are real with you. Have those people that you can rely on that can help you improve on the way that you are communicating. It could be managing your cases or writing your soaps or all the things that you do on a day-to-day basis. People that don't threaten you, you know, that make you feel worse about yourself, but people that can work along with you to help coach you into being a better person. I feel like we just made one big, beautiful circle because we started our our episode talking about family and connections and the importance and and being aware of what your priorities and so forth. And we talked about networking. And now we talk about communicating. And we've now completed the circle, really, with you want to be with people who are real with you, that don't threaten you, that make you feel good. This is your network. This is your family. This is your spouse. Yep. It all comes together. Yes. Yes. And it takes all of the above <laughs> to be successful and more importantly, to feel good about your success, but also to set those future goals that can help you continue to be energized about being a veterinary professional. A lot of that rides on us as individuals. So the stronger that village is that you have around you to support you, um, the better off you're going to be and the more successful you will be as veterinary professionals. Thank you so much, Christine, for your time. Obviously, you are extremely busy and we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. So thank you again for joining us today. Thank you, Kim, for the opportunity. It's been great to reconnect. Yes, likewise. This concludes another episode of Scrub Chat a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. Please remember to visit VetVance at www.vetvance.com and check out Zoetis Commitment to Veterinarians on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more information about life issues such as handling student debt, reducing stress, communication skills, and reputation management. VetVance is also available as a mobile app on both Apple and Android devices. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at scrubchat at zoetis.com. We would love to hear from you. And please don't forget to share and review this podcast so we can produce more in the future. We are grateful to Zoetis for the support. Until next time, this is Scrub Chat.